Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. 
Hey Greasters, I hope you're having an okay week and I hope the football didn't add to your grieving and I hope that if you're listening in England you are coping with the level of weather chat we're having to do at the moment because guys, it is really hot here. Thank you so much for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do rate and review us on iTunes. I know every podcast asks you to do that, but it does genuinely help other people find the show. And if you, you know, if you really enjoy it, why not subscribe and then you will not miss an episode, I promise. And if you really, really, really enjoy it, why not come and see us live? What could be better than people chatting about death in a cheery manner? in front of your face because we're going to be at the London Podcast Festival on September the 15th I'm going to be joined by some brilliant guests No Such Thing as a Fish's Andrew Hunter-Murray and Throwing Shades Erin Gibson Um, tickets are available now for the King's Place website so head there for more information on that show and the whole festival this week I'm talking to comedian Robin Cliffan Robin has appeared on BBC Radio 4's The Now Show and Newsjack. He's written for Vice and The Independent, and he's also the host of The Moths Story Slam. Robin came in to talk to me about his mum, who died 18 months ago of an extremely rare blood cancer. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with comedian and writer Robin Cliffham. Hello. Hi. Robin, I always talk about people's names, but I actually know something about your name, which I find really interesting. Am I allowed to say? Yeah. Is this true? I've heard this because you you know members of Ostentatious more more well, more intimately, I was going to say, but that sounded really weird. intimately. Like you went to uni with them and they told me that Cliffan is a made-up surname. Is that right? Yeah, it is. That your parents made up? They did. I love that. (laughs) So what were the other two surnames? Because that's what I don't think they've given me that piece of information. Well, there's one other person with that surname who's my twin sister, Amy. Wow. So Amy Clivan. Yeah. And then there's my mum and dad, um, yeah. my dad Clive and my mum Anne. So Clive and Anne Clivan. That's how so we got there. So it wasn't even their surnames? No, they've got different surnames. They're not the same surname as each other, yeah. I thought they'd put <laughs> their surnames together. No, they put their first names together. Wow. Clivan's slightly better than Anne Cliff, which... <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it, Cliffan to me sounds so Welsh. Cliffan. Yeah, well, what? Well, you've just hit on two themes okay. that are the exact themes that my mum wanted you to hit on when oh, great. talking about my name. She wanted people to think you're Welsh. She wanted people to think I was Welsh, and I think she wanted to do something that wasn't particularly like heteronormative. Oh. I think she wanted to do something that was a bit radical, and she radical. was coming from that kind of uh, activist background of oh, wow. sexual politics. So it is spelt the Welsh way. It is spelt yeah. C-L-Y-F-A-N, so people uh, yeah, for think ages, I'm Welsh. Yeah. I thought you were Welsh, and I was. I remember thinking... Well, my mum, it was. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, that's an unusual... I've not heard that Welsh name before. When yeah. You were like Cliffan. But it just sounds Welsh, doesn't it? Cliffan. It does sound Welsh, but... I, some Welsh people say that maybe they've spelt it wrong or it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit messy. But messy. It was, the intention was to... Um, and I asked my mum once, actually. I said, why did you yeah. want people to think I was Welsh? And she said, just in case I forgot. So she wanted me, I think it was for me, to oh, remind me that... That she was Welsh. Uh, uh, she was Welsh and I'm oh. a bit Welsh. So you're the same as me because I'm only half Welsh. It's only my dad's Yeah, I know, but I've got the Welshest name possible. You know, my mum's surname was Lloyd. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. (laughs) Matha. Hello. Intense. Um, She was called Anne Lloyd. She's called Anne Lloyd, yeah. She's my great aunt. Was Anne Lloyd? Oh, I mean, that's probably not that, like, unusual in Wales. It's suddenly a who do you think you are. (laughs) (laughs) But she was a Lloyd. Oh, my God, that's amazing. But she, it was Lloyd wasn't her maiden name. She was married okay. before she met my dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, so I know that's a bit deflated. Yeah. yeah. What was her maiden name? Coleman. 
Coleman. Irish, solid Irish. Oh, okay, God, I mean, yeah. this is... This is <laughs> and we found out you're related to King William yes. <laughs> Yay! That's always what you're looking for and who do you think you are. So, Robin, who are we remembering today? Um, we are remembering my mum. Your mum. So, yeah. um, how old were you when your mum died? Was it recently? Or? Yeah, I mean, I was 32. Okay, yeah. so how many... Or was I 31? It was 18 months ago. Oh, I'm just wow. turned 33, yeah, so it's so recently. So, really recent? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. Wow. Yeah. So what happened? What did she die of? She died of a very rare form of leukemia. Oh gosh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. The rare ones. One of those cheeky rare cheeky ones. Rare Fuck ones. off. Fuck off. Yeah. I don't want to be the rare one. <laughs> what so yeah, let's go let's start. So was she okay. ill for a while or what like how did the diagnosis come about? It's funny cuz when people ask me that I I often say she was ill for 2 or 3 years but she I've realised I was just remembering it wrong. Yeah. She was actually only ill for 14 months. Yeah. She maybe slightly longer, 15 months, yeah. But it does get blurred, doesn't it? it Everything does. gets blurred. Yeah. Because it was quite rare, there was quite a... Uh, the um, the prognosis was quite uh, ambiguous. Right. They kind of said it could be five years, it could be ten years, it could be two years. Oh, my God. And... Um, what was the name of it, if you don't mind me, because I'm sure somebody... Yeah, what was the name like of it? It was, it was um, atypical acute myeloid. Wow. Um, with a dis... With a dis oh my, I'm going to get this wrong. With a dyspraxic element. Oh, God. Oh, my God, that sounds That's so maybe technical. The, I think I probably got that wrong and <laughs> said the word dyspraxic, which is not what I mean. <laughs> somebody will tweet us and tell us what you did mean. So, yeah. That's someone who can't... Who has problem judging like distances, movement. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, or movement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, you got the main bit. I got the main bit. The main we'll, bit. we'll go the leukemia. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. Um, it was so, hard because it was. Yeah, they were it, trying to understand the different elements of it. Was yeah. Yeah, complicated. complicated. So, what happened first of all? Was she? She just went to the doctors and she was not feeling great, or like when did they sort of? When did you become aware of like, oh, this is something a bit more serious? I was in Greece with my then girlfriend Emily and my. Mum had gone to the doctor because she was feeling tired. Um, and she had, they took her blood and she had quite a very high white blood cell count, I think. And then it became quite uh, um, urgent. I'm trying yeah. to think back to this now. And then when we went to the hospital, it then, I think it then became a leukemia that seemed more, uh, for want of a better word, mainstream and common, yeah. which was more treatable. I think. Drugs for blood cancers have improved significantly over the last 20 or 30 years, wow. and so a lot of them can be managed. But it then became apparent that she had a rare condition and without a particular chromosome that would have um, made treatment easier. Wow. And that's when the uh, the prognosis was always ambiguous, but it became more apparent that it was more difficult to manage. And actually, yeah, God... God, I suppose this is the point, but it takes it all back now. Yeah. Then it was trying to, I think, think about how to talk to the right person because I actually found the paper that they were, because it was such a rare, atypical condition, um, I realised they were giving the prognosis of this one paper wow. which had been published in on, on atypical. Yeah. Um, this I'm not going to say the name again because I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> but um, so so, it's, it's so rare that it's... Like, there wasn't even a kind of a usual route to deal with it. Yeah, there wasn't the research to be able God. to give. I suppose it's always very difficult, if, I, I'm sure, if you ask anyone in a medical profession to give a prognosis, because that's very difficult yeah. to be pinned down to any date. But um, 
uh, yeah, that's that's how it began. And we went to go see an expert, and then I think there was an option of having a, um, a bone marrow stem cell transplant, um, but that uh, I think we decided that was too risky. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, yeah. so then what? In that sort of fourteen months of her being ill, did she sort of just steadily get? a bit more weak or was she in hospital like did you kind of have a bit of normal life because it's that weird bit with diagnosis where it's like right well once you know it you can't just sit around and cry constantly so you're sort of like well what should we do you know that was a very yeah that's a very that's an interesting question there were moments of health mm. like where where she was feeling better yeah. um where we did do things she wanted to do like she always wanted to go to the seaside and uh go to Whitby in particular in Scarborough. So we did things like that that she wanted to do. Um, and there were moments when she was in hospital and it looked like, you know, you have that moment where it looks like she would die and then she rallies again. Yeah. And every, I think everyone's relationship to her mortality within the family was slightly running at different paces, I think, yeah. as is always the case. God, yeah, grief. that's a really good way of putting it. And hers in particular as well. Yeah. I think she had a very... It, she went through a phase of definitely wanting to fight it and right. wanting me to be her ally in that, which I spent a long time trying to do research with conventional and very unconventional medicine and all those kind of things that she wanted to yeah. engage with. Well, I mean, my dad did some... Did he? Yeah. yeah. My dad did, like, Chinese herbs and, like, I mean... We knew lots of people. So it would be like, oh, I'm going to see Gaia... Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's her name. Um, lovely guy, actually, really nice. Um, for some light therapy, you know, stuff like that. And yeah. I remember coming up the stairs and like my dad just lying down and like, you know, guy just holding her hand. And I'm um, that was very normal as a child yeah. that somebody would be doing a bit of healing somewhere. Um, so that sort of thing. Yeah, what did you get? And what did you get into? Well, what she got into is she went to see someone who she said was a spiritual healer. Oh, okay. I think what happened for my mum was she was being given such bad news yeah. by conventional medicine and she always had a slight of a very anti-establishment streak to her very yes. radical politics yeah so there was something in her that wanted to be contrary to an establishment view and also i think the truth of it was she wasn't being given any hope by them yeah so she just went to a place that was giving her hope and she went to someone who she just described as a spiritual healer what I could tell, she just kind of lay on a bed while someone moved their hands. Yeah, like, that's, from they a, do like from doing distance. that. <laughs> <laughs> they love doing that. <laughs> Maybe lit some incense. Yeah, a lot of candles and moving yeah. hands. But I suppose it's. I don't. I mean, I have a problem with it. I suppose again, that's what's interesting about the two schools, like you say, of like it'd be nice if there was a bit of um, a meeting in the middle, because yeah. I like the alternative um, offers like so much hope. That sometimes yep. you're like, guys, fucking come on, like some facts would be good here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the Rain medical in. is so like, this is it, that's nothing. We're, like, we're not telling you any, like, you're going to die. You think, yeah. well, really what people seek an alternative so much is a space to just, like, oh, can I just have someone listen to me? Yeah, exactly. And and have someone be like, oh, that sounds bad. Rather than like, well, that's all we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, because for me, the thing about, the thing that I did really appreciate about the NHS was that she... You know, they never, they're always very proportionate with the evidence. They never <laughs> yeah, overstated yeah. what they knew, but there was obviously there's just not enough time to yeah. give someone the care that they need. Yeah. And I think my mum made a, she made a decision. She explicitly said to me, she said, there's no such thing as, you know, false hope. There's only hope. So she made a decision to go places that she yeah. knew would give her that. And 
Which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. Like I don't. Again, my, yeah, my dad was. Like, yeah, you know, doing did all he? This what stuff. did he do? Did he? Did he keep with the alternative medicine thing when he yeah. was sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were very alternative anyway. And right. then when he was sick, it was like. Again, I guess because they had those friends. So it was like, and again, it was in our in our world. So yeah. it was like, yeah, obviously he's also taking Chinese herbs and going to Reiki and, you know, having like aura cleansing, like, obvs. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else? And so, yeah, lots of people came around and like offered their services. And so he, I remember the Chinese herbs the most because they fucking stank. stink. Yeah. Oh my God. Ooh, and yeah. the liquid, I remember him drinking it and being like, but I guess the chemo was making him so sick. So it's like, well... Do you think it... Why not? Do you think it helped him? I don't know. I think... I think we still don't understand what your mum was talking about, the power of hope. I think yeah. we still don't really understand what that might mean to someone who knows they're dying. So I think it did. Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably helped him mentally to hmm. think... I'm doing something to feel in control in a situation he wasn't in control of. I think people coming around and giving inverted commas healing was probably quite healing in that you lie there, you breathe, you're calm, someone is kind to you. Like I'm sure that wasn't I'm sure that wasn't negative. Whether you could say it shrank his tumor. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it did. But yeah, I think that's what I mean. That you, I, you know, both sides could learn from the other. I always say I'm not someone who'd ever be like, oh, all of it's bullshit. I do think. As much as you can say there's doc like me, you know medical doctors who their bedside manner is is so is actually damaging the way they tell that news you can also say yes there's homeopathists who are peddling bullshit you know what I mean like yeah. everybody everybody could improve yeah so yeah. yeah I do think it I definitely think it helped him psychologically to feel yeah. like he was doing something yeah because I suppose when you're waiting for treatments and you know they he had chemo. And they were very much like, oh, yes, you should do it. But my mum always swears, like, we shouldn't have done it. It was too late. And it made him so ill. So I think to do something that wasn't, you know, as awful as the chemo must have felt some, must have felt yeah. useful, maybe. And I suppose that's where the kind of the hope thing can become yeah. a bit dangerous because yes. you can keep fighting in a way that can be just so exhausting. Yeah, my dad definitely kept fighting. And yeah. I remember in the, like, the week before he died, I think, he was like, oh, I mean, this was just my dad, but like, he was in the bed in the hospital and like my mum was one side, I was the other. And he was like, right, get a pen and paper out. Get, let's get planning what we're going to do next week and the trip we're going to take. I remember like me and my mum being like, you clearly aren't going anywhere. This is, mm. and that's when I, that's when it's painful. That's when you want to be like, my mum found it very difficult to get him to talk about like what he wanted for his funeral or what he, right. pl any plans. Cause he was just yeah. like, no. We're gonna beat this. When it was like, okay, we're we're definitely not. <laughs> and did, was there ever a moment of acknowledgement with him and you? Not when... with no, not with me. I mean, I was fifteen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, my mum said she would like. We've talked about it actually. She said like she would like force him. She'd be like, right, come on, you've got to tell me. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want your ashes scattered? And she said he would just like, you know, they obviously knew each other well. She'd say stuff to shut her up, like, oh, just put him anywhere or. Take him, take him to Wales, take him to Fintorn, like this weird yeah. hippie place they used to go to. But she said she always felt like, oh, he wasn't, it was just to end the conversation. Yeah. But yeah, we never had a moment where he acknowledged he was dying. And I... Did you I, want that? Yeah, I would have. I would have liked that. What about you? Did you ever get that with your mum where it was like, okay, I'm talking to you as someone who knows they're dying? Yeah, I tried. Yeah. So many times. Oh, it's so hard, and isn't it? 
uh, Macmillan, what can really help, I find, sometimes is just someone coming in from the outside yeah. of the family because it's such a pressure cooker and it never feels like there's enough space for anyone to grieve because yeah. you're already grieving when someone's terminally ill. And a Macmillan nurse came in and my mum had a very kooky house and she was sat on her sofa surrounded by her books and the nurse just kind of looked at her and went, you don't look well, Anne. And there was, I think, a moment of truth and recognition. And after that, I tried to talk to my mum. And she said, uh, <laughs> she she said she was in, she was like, I'm in denial. Mm. And I've made, I know I'm in denial. And she made a decision to be in, to denial. Be in denial. And so from that, and that, at that point, she'd say, why would I talk about my death? You know, there's nothing more boring. But then before she went, she went into a hospice. And before she did that, she spent about an hour giving me and my sister just very prescriptive advice. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was Of just, like, mad stuff of, like, Robin, this is what you should wear on Friday and you should go out with someone who's very tall banjo player and, Amy, you should do this. And I was like, okay. I almost had to go to a stage with my mum. I was like, please don't give out advice this specific because <laughs> we're going to feel really crap yeah, and we can't we, do it. we don't do it. Um, oh, my God. So there, was, there were definitely acknowledgements from her. Yeah. And but for a lot of the time, she she made a decision not, not to talk about it. It's yeah. really hard, <laughs> I think, as the child. I, yeah. I I didn't really... At the time, I didn't have the words. So I was like, well, okay, yeah. whatever. But as a 30-something, I now feel like I, I've had to forgive him. Because I've definitely had that moment where I thought, why didn't you fucking talk to me? Because mm. you knew you were dying. But also, then when you flip it around and you go, oh, they're dying. They don't have the words they don't know how to say to their children I'm not going to because they don't my dad really didn't want to die in that way like he really didn't he was like not happy about it <laughs> he was yeah. like pissed off yeah. um, and so I've had to it's taken a lot of time to kind of go it's not your fault like I think you can feel the anger of them not yeah, acknowledging it yeah. but except that it, they weren't doing it maliciously and there's yeah, nothing and you could do that's you because I think when someone's dying, you have a lot of anger at that person. Oh, God, so much anger, Be- Because, yeah. I mean, firstly, how dare they die? And how dare they fucking die? die? What the fuck are you doing? Like, what the... <laughs> I need you. What are you doing? Yeah. Yo, I was furious. It's the most annoying thing he's it's ever done. so annoying. That's what yeah. I was saying. It's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for them to make it fair either. Yeah. You've got to do that on your own. Exactly. But then also, I think there's that feeling of... I think you forget sometimes that they're dying. Yes. And the enormity yeah. of... What? Staring into the great unknown. Yeah. And I found with my with my mum and a good friend before that, family friend Jerry died, and and with him there were kind of acknowledgements of what, and with my mum as well, the losses were kind of more specific, tangible ones because death mm. is such an enormous thing. So yeah. it was a really significant moment um, when it just became apparent that my mum wouldn't be able to go outside anymore, or she wouldn't be able to go to the yeah. seaside, or your world just gets smaller, smaller like that. Yeah. And I think then. Then the the grief or the moments of acknowledgement of loss become relatable, and when they're specific, because yeah, who yeah. knows what death is? It's just those little specific things where it's like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, now I don't think I'm, I don't think my mum is ever going to go outside. I, she's going to look at that tree, and that's that's the. It's not her world's going to get smaller. I think I think that was those kind of realizations, or the last time we had pizza that she really likes yeah, you know yeah. those specific things though there's an acknowledgement yeah but you're right but, because it's so massive when you do find something to hook it onto it's like exactly oh yeah. okay it's the last this 
it's yeah. the last this yeah. and you keep and like you said they get you just start counting them yeah. down and, yeah and seeing them get smaller <laughs> and smaller and that that smaller thing's really interesting because it does you know when they're ill they're going to hospital and people and you go and talk to people and then eventually you go just to one hospital and then you're just in one room and yeah the people the nurses start to be the same you know nurses yeah. at the end yeah. like everything is just those people and you've gone from this sort of very medical, like, oh, we're going here, we're doing this, and these yeah. people, to just like, nah, these three guys have got it, because yeah. there's not much else to do now. Yeah. Which, yeah, is really, it's such a strange process. So, yeah, so then your mum is, so she's being treated. Is she having treatment? She was managed. Mani- so managed, it became right, yeah. apparent that, you know, she, she couldn't be cured. Right. It was a case of managing it okay. with very... I mean, I've already messed up what she had, but with us, I won't go into the drugs, but very... Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. You're not a doctor, very, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, guys. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a lot of great situations to start with that, don't <laughs> yeah. they? But I'm going to have a go. Have a go. <laughs> this is what <laughs> I think this she should spatula take. And these pills. Uh, no, she um, she was managed with very, uh, quite rudimentary generic drugs that were just weren't specific to her right. um, condition. So it was just about making sure there was a balance between her red red blood cells and her white blood cells. And, um, you know, she'd have good weeks and bad weeks. And when, when the weeks were good, she'd feel optimistic and yeah. happy. And I think for her, talking about the alternative medicine thing, she'd try and find explanations as to why a week had been good or a week uh, had been yeah, bad, logic. which was like, uh. oh, that's because I had a stressful experience because I watched that because somebody, I saw someone kick a cat or, you know, <laughs> or something about that she could relate to yeah. that was about um, giving a, yeah, just giving a logic to the chaos of... Oh, wait, that's the problem, is it? Yeah, it's chaos or, and there's no control and yeah. they're being told there's a thing that doesn't make sense inside you. I can't, I can't imagine how that, no. what that does to your, yeah, capacity for understanding the world. So, yeah, then you do start... It's a bit like superstitions, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. you get a bit like, oh, I, I stepped on three drains, that's why. Yeah, that boy exactly. Me. Yeah. And then I've you're like, oh, I... every railing. Yeah, I had Reiki, so I've that's why I'm feeling good. i through a window. Yeah, because yeah. you're just <laughs> looking for something to hook things onto because what you're doing, especially with your mum, I guess, having such a rare condition, that must have been really... You know, there's no rule book, is there? There's not like, there a, isn't. oh, here's these other people and they had this and they went through this. So no, maybe, there was no one else who'd had it. They hadn't God. seen it before in... The, the hospital hadn't wow. seen it before in Leeds, which was the the bigger hospital with the um, experts in it. They hadn't seen it either. And uh, Jesus, I spent some time trying to find someone who um, might have seen the condition. And the only people we could really contact was someone who'd met someone at an international conference. But there was just no research in it. And so I tried to wow. find out about clinical trials yeah. and all those things that you try and cling on to but that's such a risk i mean yeah obviously i think there's an idea as a lay person you know ignorant lay person like myself there's sometimes an, an idea that a medicine is an exact science but you yeah. know it's an art with it is a science but there's a that risk management in it where um it gets very difficult because there was there was a drug in america that you, you know we thought about flying her over to america and giving her this thing that had a 30 percent chance but you take yeah, I think I think I am though. I don't know. I think because she put a lot of responsibility on me specifically to look into that. But I did at the time make a decision just to be totally exhausted with it. Yeah. So that when it came to the point afterwards, I'd like I actually. 
I really went for it, and I don't yeah. think there was. I the sad truth is I. There I wasn't don't anything. think there was anything. Yes, you really, I really looked. looked. <laughs> yeah. Although it's kind of suspicious that I now can't remember what she had. <laughs> sure, I looked, guys. Sure, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. looking. La, 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 la. One Google. Type, type, yeah. Oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> but relax. Turns out there's nothing here. <laughs> Why do you think your mum... put? Did she, so what you're saying, did she put more of that on you than she did your sister? Yes. Or Do you know why? Did you ever speak to her about A that? Bit. Did you? I don't know. I well, I kind of she put different pressures on my sister yeah, that yeah. were that were equally as difficult. Mm. She asked my sister to care for her in a in a way I think because she was a woman in terms yeah. of like intimacy, um, in a way that she didn't ask me. Yeah. Um, but I think my mum always. <laughs> so going back to the going back to the name. Yeah. And so my mum was a very vociferous um, feminist scientist and a working class Welsh woman who I th- and I think she saw me as um, a slightly loud <laughs> sometimes a bit annoying Englishman <laughs> but uh, that could be and I think she found like you know in a way, she found that was annoying, but I think she felt like she wanted me to handle things for her. Mm. I don't know. There's, there's a way in which she put responsibility. She thought I was just good at making a fuss and going off at doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think she just... She and she liked the, having those conversations yeah. with me, I think. Perhaps uh, she understood the patriarchy. <laughs> it's like... She wanted to utilise yeah, me utilize for the patriarchy. It. Send a man in and I might oh, get God, some answers. That's bad, isn't it? That's a <laughs> conflict for me. <laughs> Trying to utilise my oppressive skills to help my vociferous feminist mother. No, you're an inside... There lies inside, a conflict. Yeah, I'm an inside, inside agent. Soul. Yeah, exactly. That's all you know I wanted. You know what you're doing. <laughs> you're playing the game, but you know what you're doing. That's totally fine. That's all I wanted was a woman to tell me I knew what I was doing yeah. in the patriarchy. <laughs> I have to. I often. I have done that before. I've sent my husband in to do things. Really? Is that terribly unfeminist. Only no, when it's only know. when it's like I don't have the time yeah. to challenge this person. Yeah. And you know, especially in medical situations, we are like, Jesus, can like, there's bigger things here. So if yeah. you're going to talk to my tall white husband quicker and more like, um, what's the word? Mm-hmm. <laughs> more eloquently than you are mm-hmm. me. Great. Talk to him because I know he's a good feminist. He'll come back and explain it to yeah. me. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine to be an inside agent occasionally. Yeah. An ally, an ally, yeah. as I say. But yeah, so when, when you spoke to her about that, did she... Yeah, what did she say? When Did you ever... Did you say this is a lot for me to deal with, or...? It came out in lots of ways. She'd sometimes be excited and be like, we're going to do it, Robin. We're going to find out all these... We're going to... We're going to... We're going to beat this. Wow, And yeah. she was so thorough. She made, like, pages documents that were hundreds of pages of long long, with all kinds of research with how you know mung beans and charcoal and all these different things could be used dandelions um and so she was very thorough and uh so she talked to me and there were those moments of optimism there were moments when she found she was so sensitive that she found any form of uh, disagreement or behaviour from me very upsetting yeah. and that was really difficult because she'd really get upset with me about it and I'd feel horrific yeah. um, and then there were moments when that came there were there were tensions really there was a, there was some alternative therapist that she was or naturopath that she was using who I think it, it transpired it became apparent to me that I think he was really overstating what he knew mm. in a way that was really 
dangerous actually. Yeah. And he was a very he was a very mild mannered Canadian, so I think she initially trusted him, and I was a loud, shouty man arguing with him. So, so I think she was like, "Oh, Robin, you're just being big, obnoxious, Robin." Um, you're like, "No, actually, this, like, this arsehole." No, I actually think he's a arsehole. <laughs> yeah. And we we got over that. We got over that. But, but that's um, the thing with the alternative. I completely agree because when you meet a lot of these alternative people like people in that world and I'm not you know there's some amazing genuine angels out there who are incredible at healing and then there's some fucking charlatans oh yeah but they all there's that sort of voice the voice yeah the voice of hi I'm here to heal you and it's hard sometimes I definitely had like some of my weird dad's friends that I'd be like I don't like this one. Like no. this one is definitely after your sixty quid, and that's yeah. which. Of course, they're humans. They're not. They're not angels. You know, just because there are one in ten are literally like these amazing healing people who want nothing but to heal the world. Yeah, there are some bastards out there. Real bastards. Real. Yeah. Real freaking, I mean, I yeah, I didn't like that guy. I think. I think you feel more betrayed, so don't you? Because you're like you're supposed you to be on the fucking healing side. Yeah, you know? it's like you. Balland. Yeah, you're not the, on the medical side, just like <laughs> stealing hope. You're supposed to be he- like yeah. doing this for, for just for healing. Yeah, which is unfair on doctors who are doing it just for healing and don't get paid. Properly. No, indeed. But when you grow up with alternative therapies, they do teach you that those people are bad. Don't they, they? I mean, that is a problem. Yeah. I think because I mean that is one of the things that actually I think became a problem with this guy was that he was actually encouraging her oh, to yeah. to you know distrust the her oncologist or and and that oh, was to God. a point where I was like okay mate you can yeah you're 150 pounds an hour can stick it up your bum Fuck bum off, yeah um that's that's when I but, get angry because I'm like look all I'm, I would never if you want to do alternative therapies yeah do them great great great. Also take these other drugs. Yeah, <laughs> like take yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the drugs that you yeah. know really do. I do. I am a bit of. I'm like take it, do everything. But when there is that, um, yeah, it, I know how people you, will tell me they healed themselves with dandelions. But yeah, it's but not. It was not everyone difficult does. because that, yeah. I mean, I won't go into too much detail, but I ended up doing things like he wanted to do something that he, which was all, which was medical, but was like a thing called a chemosensitivity test where you have your blood tested in a lab mm. to see how how it responds to certain chemotherapies right. and alternative therapies, which I think could be useful, but is part of a much bigger picture and very different to how your body responds when it's in the body. Yeah, yeah. But he really overstated that. So I think there was a the point that I lost it was I was, I mean, this is quite gruesome. I was like, you know, trying to send vials of my mother's blood in like cold packaging to Germany to get tested in this thing that I think he was really being quite dishonest about. And at that point I thought, I hate this man so much. (laughs) I want to go to his house and set fire to everything, (laughs) which I didn't do as I've told the police. Um, But it's so hard because your parent is dying and you want to help. Yeah. And then you don't know who to believe. And the trouble is, like you said, the biggest, what it always comes down to is no one fucking knows. No one knows. Yeah. No one knows especially with something that rare. Yeah. Like, I think when you've got, you know, my dad had pancreatic cancer, which you know Ooh. isn't that rare, but it's sort of seen as quite rare because it's, anyway, it's always secondary. But, like, I can't imagine how you must have felt when you're dealing, like, you don't even have, like, a room full of, well, all these people have this leukaemia, like, all of us, and that yeah, person can yeah, tell yeah. you, well, we tried this. When you don't have that, of course, you're, you're grasping at straws, aren't you? Yeah. And then you are vulnerable, and it is easy for some arsehole to make you send blood to Germany and yeah, pe- exactly. make you pay for it. Like, you're, you're vulnerable at that point. And the way, I think that's interesting, you know. I wonder if, even though your mum found it distressing, don't you think it's interesting she put the loud Englishman in charge? 
who was going to say this is bullshit eventually. Like she must well, have known you were like a bit. Perhaps she a thought bit, you. Yes. Perhaps she thought you would protect her somewhere in her brain. And she did think I was good at those kind of things. Yeah. That is uh, obviously she thought I was competent. <laughs> yeah, but somewhere <laughs> but in her no, brain she, she must have known yeah, that you weren't going to just oh, she go def- along with everything. Oh yeah, she absolutely trusted me on that. Yeah. I think she found certain things difficult, but she she absolutely trusted me on that. And and also, really great intimate moments of. I mean, and that's about my relationship with my mum, which is that we disagreed. She was had such powerful convictions mm. politically and personally as well. But I could talk to her about them, and we, it would take a long time, but she would listen, and I think we really trusted each other on that. And I think from that came, we could have a d- discussions about these things, and it was good to have a project with her yeah. to to be engaging in something that was proactive yeah and as much as that led to a difficult place it was like we had a task that was as and you know my dad and my sister helped just as much if not more than me in similar and different ways so and scott my dad's partner who was also hugely involved um so there were lots of people there uh but that's i mean that's yeah it's funny isn't it because i don't know the thing with death of like parents don't always do what you want them to do like they don't say yes okay I'm going to die but she did give you a project for you two together and she did put you in charge of protecting her yeah you know in terms of medical like you know you weren't going to go no let's send all the blood to Germany this sounds amazing she knew you were never going to do that yeah so somehow there was that even though she was in denial there is another conversation going on absolutely and she had very she had compartmentalized conversations and she knew what bit she could focus on at a time Mm. Um, I think that's very true, yeah. And knowing when she was going to think about the fact that she was dying and when she wasn't in yeah. order to function. Um, yeah, in order just to be able to get through that day because, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a huge thing to deal with. Um, so when she went into the hospice, yeah. you kind of knew, okay, it's definitely happening now. Were you Was she in the hospice for a long time? or? I think she was in the hospice for four weeks. Oh, wow. So not... So, I mean, quite a long time. Yeah. The initial reason, to, the only reason she'd agreed to go in initially was for respite care. Yeah. So it's like, you know, mum, you won't be leaving home forever. We can just pop yeah. into this hospice. Pop into a I hospice. Know, I know, And they are funny places, hospices, I think, because they do do that. I mean, they're wonderful and so grateful for them. And uh, that's a real statement, like, Small and large hum- human kindnesses mm. just mean the world to you, don't they? And oh my God, yeah. I think hospices are a very grand kindness, and that's so important. And but that process, they they kind of you have that again that relationship between them, kind of going like, "Oh, we're not we're not a morbid place. We're not a place yeah, for like yeah. dying." And you're kind of like, um, Ooh, "What the are. fuck is going? Why? <laughs> where is everyone going?" <laughs> <laughs> it's and they haven't so, just gone outside, guys. I was like, and so that very you're you're yeah. almost on the stage with her of being like you're dying, like yeah. fucking screaming it, and a point of everyone being like, oh, it's very baby steps yeah, towards we're just that a point. Lovely little time. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, we're just gonna have the windows open today, and yeah. But then it but must that be... lightness, I suppose, is so necessary. Yeah, yeah. 
and I'm, I'm obsessed with this of like how similar um, death and birth are and it's the same right. thing like when they when you're like really I mean I was like really late and they're like why don't you just pop in we'll just have a look at you pop in and then you're there like why don't we just induce you and you're like oh oh okay and they're like don't we just put you on the ward with it it's alright and it, you are sort of led in the same way because you're very vulnerable and you're yeah. scared yeah. and there's all these people thinking no we're just going to pop in and don't you worry and then you're like I seem to be in labour and they're like yes we knew that that's what we were hoping would yeah. happen yeah, I know. And they, they obviously, my mum's friend is um, a hospice nurse and she's great to talk to because she like is very blunt about stuff. But she said once that she was like, yeah, I can look and see sometimes how long they've got because I've seen so many people right. die. Yeah, And I think she's like, you know, the family can't yeah. see that. But that's the job of, an, that's my job is to go, oh, this person's got not very long actually so we better let's get them in the room let's make yeah. sure the family are, we've got all the numbers you mm. know like that's their job which is it's kind of incredible when you yeah we obviously you don't it's one of those things that service you don't think about till you need it exactly the yeah. same time your baby until you need it it's like oh sure Some it's kind do, of like everyone's yeah. an NHS patient they just haven't checked in yet yeah kind of thing, exactly right? just, yeah yeah you Around your dad then? Yes, mm. yeah. So I always get this wrong. I always say he was in a hospice. My mum always rings me after the podcast. I he was in listened a, before when you said he was in a... He was in a hospital. Was, I, hospital I, right. This is the first time I've admitted <laughs> I really thought it was a hospice. But she was like, no, he never got to the bloody hospice. He was in a... I mean, it was a cancer wing at the hospital. Um, he was supposed to go into the hospice, but then he got too sick to get moved. So, but it, I, I mean, in all extensive purposes, it kind of was people weren't really coming out of there yeah so okay. it was a very yeah it, it, in in my memory it's like it looked very it's you know they had a little garden okay. and it was very separate and there were all the palliative care palliative care, palliative ward. care ward yeah, yeah okay. so yeah it wasn't a hospice hospital i completely again memory i just conflated that and yeah. my mum said to me the other day no yeah. <laughs> didn't get, i was like oh where was he then hospital so yeah he was in a but yeah we were all there yeah, we were all there at the at the end. Um, so, yeah, were you guys there when she died? Yeah. And what happened? Um, whenever anyone asks me this question, I always want to make a joke out of it. It's totally fine. And every time I've tried to, it's just not funny at all. And I'm just not... <laughs> you're, already, I'd say, you're only 18 months in, so those, those jokes are still a little raw. <laughs> I always kind of go like... I just wish I hadn't learned that motorbike or something. And then I go, ha, 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 ha. It just looks like I've like absolutely <laughs> having a breakdown. It is because um, you're in the early days. It is in about four years' oh, time, yeah. you'll, you'll get like a good gag out of it. But like, well, it's I like, am writing a show about it, but yeah. we'll see. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was, I was there. I, yeah. in, the, in the morning, we used to do it in shifts, and I was there. It was very close to just after Christmas, three days after Christmas. Oh, and I was wow. there in the morning... About eight, and uh, she couldn't sit up, mm. and she just said, "Tell everyone, I'm just I can't sit up." Wow! And that was just her saying, "I think let everyone know <gasps> that I'm gonna die." God, that's kind of amazing that she had that, like that much self awareness. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, she was always very, very sensitive to her. Yeah, body. She was always very sensitive to her body, and we always and she's she she's always like, oh, I'm very tired, or I'm very blah blah, and I think she might have had cancer for a very long time, mm. and uh, um, it's hard to know where she got it from, but 
she there's a lot of controversy. The place that she grew up in Newport was a very poor area that was associated with toxic dumps and all that. Oh, so it right, could have, yeah. could have been something. But back to the day, um, yeah. And then I just called um, my family. We were in York in Saint um, Saint Leonard's Hospice in York, and I called my twin sister, my dad, and his Scott, his partner Scott, and. Uh, yeah, we all just came in. She died at two o'clock this a- that afternoon. Wow. Which was, yeah. Which was very... Actually, oh. what happened was my sister... <laughs> my sister was sat <laughs> facing my mum. Uh, and we were all in the room where she was dying. And very sibling thing to kind of do. I was like, I want some attention <laughs> from mum. And Amy was like, I want some attention from mum. And it's like, I mean, Amazing. a more acute expression of that. And so Amy was really... I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but Amy was obviously upset and she was, my mum was lying down and Amy was there holding her hand. And I was like, I want to I hold mum's hand. <laughs> as only twins As only twins do. Yeah. Like, She's got more than me. And um, so I was like, oh, you know, to pacify the situation, I was like, oh, Amy, should we go for a walk? Because I kind of wanted to check in with Amy as well. So we were kind of yeah. on the same page rather than being twins. And so we left the room and went for a walk and... Oh, my sister's um, then boyfriend, a partner, Rick, ex-partner Rick, was there, who was uh, lovely. And he, um, we were out in the hospice and he came running out and was like, come, come. And we, we, so me and my sister actually, we were sat there the whole day, but we left the room for the moment that she died, which I think when you talk to palliative care nurses mm. or they say... It's very common. You can sit yeah. by someone for 10 years and then you, yeah. you go to the loo and then the person lets go. But away. also, having done this show so much, I've heard that story so really? many times and I think, I can't, I mean, I've got no qualifications, so welcome to my, <laughs> this is the mild-mannered Canadian coming back to you. I can't help but wonder if a parent goes, I'd say, I, I'm, you didn't have to see it. I waited yeah. till you left the room. Yeah, I think because you're my that. children, yeah. and I think as a child you're like, no, I want to be there. But I think as now I'm a mother, a very new mother, it's a very different thing. Of mm. like, I can understand being like, yeah, I waited, and now they're gone. They don't get to see. They don't have to be through that moment. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard that so many times of the child leaving the room and then being like, oh, it ha- it, how comes it happened when I left the room? And it's like, yeah, maybe they didn't want you to have to see that. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I, I have mean, no qualifications. <laughs> I think sometimes when it comes to that, I, I don't know. I don't know if that could. I think that just comes through. That's something you know through experience, as you yeah. said, with nurses, just knowing the routine of yeah, death. There yeah. does seem to be something there where it's difficult to let go when you're yeah, in the presence when you're, of your children, your children. Of course, of course, of course. Um, so then you came back, and I came she back. Died. I came back, and she died. And then everyone, we all had some moments with the body. Yeah. And that felt really good, actually. Mm. That felt just really powerful. I just felt really kind of in tune with the kind of values and things that she'd given me. Um, and it felt very energising being with being with her at that point. Yeah. Um, and then I left and I think ate a massive fish and chips and about three <laughs> packets of quite <laughs> And, um, fair play, fair play, fair play. Um, and I think, I think, really went through stages after that of feeling kind of really energized by my mum, and also that free time while well, you mm. don't have it because you have to organise the funeral, but and just feeling absolutely 
overwhelmed by it, like you've got a kind of chest full of lead. But it's funny, but, like that time thing, because when someone has been ill and it's so consuming, yeah. and I remember, obviously I was 15, but that sort of felt like kind of like almost summer holidays of like that yeah. weird way of like, oh, there's nothing. It's just clear for a bit, isn't it? And you're still alive. Yeah, and you're it's still like, alive. Oh, you've gone through this almost process of dying. Yeah, you've been dying with, with them. Where you're like, also as well, I think just as, you know, a relatively young person or early middle-aged, however you want to view it. But just a lot of time just sat in the corner of a room with my mum. Mm. And when she had her blood transfusions every week, she used to want someone, often want someone to go with her. So you just sit in the corner for 12 hours. So that feeling of just being like flaccid and yeah. like un, unutilized. And then suddenly you've got this kind of, oof. And, um, well, it's like and life it's, again. It's life isn't again, it? and you sort of think, "Yeah, oh my God, I can move yeah. and I can run and I can laugh and I can." And it's horrible because you realise it's only so highlighted because you know they can't. Yeah. But also, there is a joy in that of like, "Oh, I can breathe. I can do that." Which I yeah. think is just a very human reaction to death. Of like, yeah. don't. It's like your soul being like, "Don't forget, you can breathe." Like, yeah, yeah guys, absolutely. Because otherwise, it's easy to stay in that state. I think I definitely remember and, feeling sorry, that being yeah. young, of that state being quite like like a comfy sofa sort of sucks you in a little bit and then I think because when yeah. you are younger you sort of when you come out you're like no I, brah, yeah, I, I don't want to do that that's a really good that. way of putting it it like, feels squishy and yeah. kind of like heavy and yeah um, and I think there's that part of you that you have to accept that there I don't know there's there's a there's a huge part of you that does not want them to die there's another part of you that once you know they're going to die it's just like can we just fucking do, do this. this yeah yeah um and that i think is can make you feel i think very guilty and all those yeah. other things but having ownership over that is being honest about that what you then have again of course yeah, yeah. And of course you want because you just want this to be because it is the most limboic situation and again like birth you know when you go into labor you're like i just want this done like why is this taking so long and it takes a long time to have a baby and it takes well sometimes but it takes a while to die like that yeah. process people don't yeah. well unless something you know sort of a tragic accident happens when it is an illness in the body the body doesn't just sort of it takes its time I think especially with cancer that's what I've yeah. noticed anyway it's like it's got to go through the whole body and affect everything yeah. and it just yeah it's a slow process yeah but of course you want it over because you love them and yeah. they're in pain and it's shit and yeah. there's a small bit of your brain of like well if this just stopped then, yeah, although although then people sometimes go to you, oh well, at least they're not in pain now, and you're like, ah, I'm want to throw you, <laughs> yeah, away, but um, <laughs> but that's very true. That 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 just all encompassingness of it that you feel is yeah. never gonna and and, it, and you're allowed to say it. That's the thing. Yeah, like exactly. when someone else says it to you, you're like, how do you know like, they yeah, were in pain? Or up. like, yeah, you weren't there for those. You weren't there for those twelve-hour blood transfusions. Like. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a it's it's every it is both those things at exactly the same time. It's wanting them to live and wanting them to be not in this situation. Yeah, it's, yeah. They exist together completely, and I think you're right. The ownership is really important. Otherwise, yeah. you you feel so guilty over something you did feel, rather than going, yeah, everybody feels like that. It's fine. Like, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's all right. So, do you remember the days afterwards? Was it a bit of a blur? Like, did you have to go I back do, to work or anything? I didn't. I was. I mean, I was quite fortunate in that. Obviously, uh, all us comedians are freelance. Yeah, yeah, that's that's handy, isn't it? <laughs> I'm in house for, <laughs> for network rail. Um, so that, so I, I suppose 
I made a decision just to do enough work to survive yeah. financially rather than push things forward so I could take the time. But actually that was also very difficult because it meant that I did have the, the time to be totally in, encompassed yeah. in it, which is good because I look back and I I know that I was there as much as I uh, there for a long for a lot of it and I don't feel like I missed out on moments with her or anything like mm. that but uh, it had a bigger impact on my life yes yeah that's um, it's I can you know there's n- whatever way you do it is the right yeah. way but I can see that doing it like that is it's tough yeah 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 but you do get those moments yeah my husband did that with his mum he sort of stopped working and really cared for her really yeah and it was really how long was she she was over about a year and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah, similar. And cancer. And again, quite rare form that people sort of used to get excited about, which that was another, like, wow. doctors would be like, ooh, ooh. And you'd be like, okay, guys, can you chill a bring little bit? In. Like, <laughs> bring it in, because you know, we're not feeling uh, the excitement about it at the moment. Um, but yeah, I remember that. I remember thinking it's like he's watching a really intense film, because I reduce mm. everything to narrative. So it's like... If you watched it in bits, it's easier, but it takes longer. But yeah. he, he he did the, yeah. you know, he went and sat at the BFI for the nine hours film yeah. <laughs> and did the whole thing. And you're like, whew. The treble Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Director's cut. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it does, it does take it out of you. Of course it does. Of course, because you've been through something so intense. Yeah. And there hasn't been, like, people who have, you know, inverted commas, normal jobs, then go back to work and yeah. there's that distraction. But I think when you are freelance, it's, yeah, you yeah. sort of then go back home and there isn't. Normality, is there? No, and you have to start the engine again. I think mm. freelance life or comedy like that is just so much about momentum. And you yeah. then have to bring that back. Which I think, I think for me it was, I, at the, the funeral is then this horrible, just the morbid grotesqueness of having conversations with people about, should we bring your mother's body in through the oh, left God. or the right? <laughs> thing, and you're like, oh, I'm just putting it in, I'm getting by, and it's just difficult. So I think once we got past that, but the funeral felt very... Uh, yeah, very energising because it's very intimate. She she wasn't in a coffin. She was wrapped in her own fabrics. Wow. So she was very there. Oh, my like, God. my mum. <laughs> so did she ask for that? Yeah. She she mentioned it. She kind of said, do what you like, but she, she wouldn't have wanted an austere coffin. Yeah, and she was yeah. always not really wanting to kind of reinvent or contradict traditions a bit. And she loved those fabrics. And she loved those shawls, and so, uh, and the and the funeral directors could do it, you know. Wow! So it was very intimate. And, was it um, a cremation or? No, she was buried. She was buried, and was it a like a religious ceremony or? It was the person who what's the term hosted it. <laughs> MC. I was about to say MC. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, that is not <laughs> the right word. Ladies and gentlemen, um, the the. The oh dude, God, the dude, the yeah, DJ sure. dude, yeah, the guy, yeah, the, MC, the yeah. guy in the dress. Uh, <laughs> he is um, Church of England, but it was a non-religious ceremony. Right, he was okay. a friend, um, oh, okay. and we kind of designed it ourselves. My our, um, cousins, Johan and Jams, who are very Welsh, Johan uh, <laughs> yes. Johan and Jams, Johan and Jams, uh, Fed, oh, uh, incredible wow. musicians. So they played, and I actually sang, which I don't normally do. Um, which now I think back at that and I hope it was fine or everyone's going, wow, he really is taking the loss of his mother badly. And they're going, we're going to have to applaud. Very good. <laughs> very good as he sings a really out-of-key version of like, 
I will always love you. <laughs> that isn't what I sang. It's a folk song. Um, what folk song did you sing? Oh, I sang Wild Mountain Time because my mum used to want to go. She was a very strange mix of things. She was a scientist, a feminist, but then, yeah, also into nature and crystals and all those kind of things. And she used to really, we used to go to folk clubs together a lot. And she always used to encourage me to sing because I like, I've got about two songs I can do. And so she, I used to do that with her. So it was a song that reminded me of her. That's lovely. I hope it was. (laughs) (laughs) It was. It sounds lovely. Yeah. Wow, so you really uh, made the funeral yeah, like as individual as she was by the sound yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did that feel really important to you? To It felt hugely important. Mm. And actually, I think I felt like I was in control of something. Also speaking as well, it's like, yeah. okay, this is kind of my job. I know how to do this yes. and I have yeah. control here. That's what in kind of encouraged me to feel like I'd actually be okay with talking about her in a public way is a way of having ownership and understanding over it, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it did feel good. And um, how were, were you and your sister, did you sort of grieve together or was it very, like, you were, like, on different hmm. paths? <laughs> <laughs> well, well. <laughs> let's think about that. Uh, yeah, so I think we all had different approaches. I think when my mum was diagnosed, my sister was... If I talked about hospice or anything like that, my sister was like, you do not, mm. mum is not going to die. Okay. And my mum, my sister was fiercely loyal, I think, to my mum's way of thinking, which was, I'm not, yeah. it's not happening. Um, and I actually, it's interesting, I actually had psychotherapy, I had psychoanalysis whilst my mum was dying. Wow. Which, and a bit of bereavement counselling, or pre-bereavement counselling, as they <laughs> wow. called it. And my mum would be like, what's the name of your counselling? And I'd be like, cancer counselling. So I think pre-bereavement is, counselling is this ominous name. Yeah, that is not, yeah. <laughs> uh, PBC? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what it stands for. It's like, what's the news, Doctor? If you'd like to step into the bereavement room. <laughs> it was God. like, there's, it was a bit like that. Yeah. Um... Good but, on you for going to do it, though. I think that's... Psychoanalysis, whilst my mum was, is freaking, was intense. Yeah. Because that's quite analytical and cold and yeah. all about your mother, kind of, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit like, Ugh. Yeah. But what that did do, I think, is... And it's interesting, the processes you go through, because I think that did allow me to have more of a separation from my mum or, or look to an alternate... My mum was so strong in her views it was about adjusting to be able to listen to someone else mm. and trust someone else yeah and so I think with my sister my my sister remained very loyal to my way, mum's way of thinking for a little bit longer mm. and I, I think almost to try and survive had to dissent a bit and separate and try and feel like oh I'm gonna have to think go to someone else for advice and or not that therapists give you advice or have ownership over my own thinking because my mum is not going to be there. So maybe we had slightly different approaches, but it's such an incubate, like, intense pressure cooker, isn't it? Oh, it's just, yeah, it's insane because there's just all this emotion and then, like you said, the anger that can't go anywhere. You're angry with somebody for something they didn't choose to do and so, and then when they're gone, you can't, they're not even there to shout at. Like, so it's just, Yeah. yeah, it's such a, it's something you just have to go through, unfortunately. It's really, yeah. it's shit. Like that bit when you're in it, it's just shit. But you just have to, you just yeah. gotta go through it. And 
I mean, and I have this terrible metaphor. It's like it's a bit like your first cerebral. <laughs> like, yeah. You just got to do it. Got to no do one, it. Yeah. No one can protect you from it. No one can yeah. make it better. No one can. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to give you this flyer and this venue. No, you just got to do it, man. Yeah. And it will be fucking horrible but you'll come through the other side and you'll think oh that's yeah okay i learned not you read but, your yeah. grief reviews from fringe frog <laughs> or whatever yeah four coffins yeah what, what? Oh, it reads like a five coffin <laughs> yeah and um, so now you are doing a show about your mum is that right kind of. or is it about grief more oh, what i've tried to do with it is just tell the story of the last three years of that mm. within the context of my relationship with my mum so it's about my relationship with my mum and her death is in there. The show wasn't kind of intended to be about her, actually, but she was in a previous incarnation of the show. And I just kind of felt like I was going, oh, yeah, my mum died anyway, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I was like, oh, I can't actually mention this in the show without giving it yeah, context. space yeah, and context yeah. and that you, relationship. I get very cross, obviously, when people are like, if I'm in a show and they go, oh, and my dad died anyway, I'm like, what? No, that's yeah. the show. Tell me what happened. Like, yeah, that's exactly. too big. You you yeah. you have to kind of, yeah, give space to it. How have you found writing about it? Has it been hard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been hugely difficult. It's been really good. Mm. I mean, the, the process, the first time I did it, as you always do with like a, like the first incarnation of an Edinburgh show, it's like, it's often the time when the most people come because I haven't done yeah. anything for ages. Yeah, you've got and it's the time when the show is unbelievably shit. <laughs> It's like, is he all right? So the first time I did it, he's singing, guys. It's like he's doing that thing again. I think he thinks it's good. (laughs) Clap. He's lost his mother. Clap. Great. Great. Cool. We've got to go. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. It's very brave. It's very brave. 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 So brave of you. It's like, okay. What every performer wants to do. Um, Yeah. So the first one was very much like, you know, jumping off a cliff and seeing if you can fly. Yeah. Uh, so that was difficult. That was that first bit of it is harder. But as the show becomes more something that can exist externally, and I don't have to rewrite. Yes. Then it and actually I love performing it. Performing it feels really cathartic, really great. Rehearsing it by myself, oh. like every time before I do a show, if I've got to kind of think through it, then yeah. that's that bit's really difficult. Yeah. That bit feels really thick and dense but the pro- process of like, doing it in front of people feels great and it's almost that process of like you fuckers have to listen to me <laughs> if you leave it's really awkward so bye my so, died, yeah, so guys. this is a hostage situation like, <laughs> let's do it yeah i think it's so interesting it's like, though because you know we are performers that's how we process stuff yeah so i i mean i'm the same with any show rehearsing it thinking about it beforehand is like Oh, like oh my yeah, god I think it's that. like what have I done I hate, I hate my bones <laughs> I hate my yeah. my face and my muscles and then as soon as in front of the audience I'm like da da yeah. I just feel like oh yes this is what I unfortunately I need an audience to understand my emotional well-being <laughs> like, yeah. but that's just who we are you know some people need to go and sit quietly in a room other people need other people to join them quietly yes exactly <laughs> so I think that that makes yeah perfect sense are any and, of your family like are they okay with you doing a show about it um yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing that's, I suppose, I think so. The thing that's quite difficult is that my mum and dad, as you kind of can tell, had quite unconventional relationship and unconventional yeah. politics. And I'm st- someone dying almost in some ways can be an opportunity to find out lots of things about them you almost didn't know yes, because you like God, yeah. rummage through their personal stuff yeah. which I wouldn't do if my mum was alive be like hi mum I'm just going to go through your drawers and read your old personal letters but when someone's 
why do you do that? So, yeah. so it's been a process of discovery, and I think I'm trying to be able to talk about that while still trying to be loyal to my mum and my dad, who yeah. had, you know, who. He's still who's here. also involved in it and yeah. is still here and was very caring and brilliant and, and my dad's partner Scott and my sister so there's that question of loyalty I mean I did I have did have a feeling that it's it, the show isn't for them mm. yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean yeah. I like them to see it but it's to tell the story of my family to other people in order to have ownership over it and obviously make it entertaining but yeah. it's um, permission I suppose in comedy is, is the key really if you can yeah. find out what your authentic story is and what you have permission to tell. So Yeah, definitely. God, that's such a good way of putting um, it. Like the things that you do feel like, no, no, this is my story, actually. Yeah, exactly. This bit is. Yeah. Sure, you can have that bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this bit's definitely mine. Yeah. So have you found stuff out about her or, like, from the old clear-out? Like, everybody yeah, always finds shit at the clear-out. I found out a lot. Well, uh, yeah, so we found out that she was she tried to have children before me which I didn't realize wow. um, before me and my sister um, we found that from a letter um, my mum's sexuality was always uh, confusing to me mm. I think she she definitely identified as gay for a long time in the 70s and 80s but I think that was more as a political position right uh, yeah yeah um, and I was always but she obviously was with my dad who, who was also gay so they got together to have children wow so in my mum dying, it's opened up these questions that I've almost in some ways been able to talk about more openly. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you, I think, if my mum was alive, because yeah, I feel like yeah. I was talking about stuff that she might find embarrassing. Or mm. And I think a few things changed. My mum died, and I understood that in the context of me growing up, I think even in the 90s in Yorkshire where we were, you know, being gay wasn't something that was all there was still a lot of homophobia around so there's a lot of secretiveness about that and so that's been discovered incrementally for me as I've got older but her dying has been a big shift in the family dynamic because it meant that um my dad's partner Scott who I hadn't met until my mum got sick oh wow my mum wasn't actually my mum and dad I don't weren't on great terms when she got diagnosed and then well they always loved each other but at that particular moment and um then when that happened um they cared for the main care is for my mum with my sister so they they her being ill enabled another family dynamic to open that i'm really grateful for so it's a very it's a it's a confusing and thing because there is a huge amount of positivity that that process of caring for her yeah. and has given some love and new additions to the family that are so special. And I now have my dad and Scott. Yeah. And so there's an, and so it opened up things and it, it changed things hugely in terms of the family dynamic. It's so uh, hard because yeah. this is the thing. I just think there's no consequence. There's no, there's no action that is ever all bad or all good. Yeah. And it, it like there's this very I get I come back to birth cuz it it just happened. Um so now we when we talk about birth there's this really big movement of like you know it's not it's okay if you're not happy it's all right if mm. this is difficult like it's not you know but for years it was like you've had a baby smile. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? And now we're like no 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 that's you know absolutely there's this other side to it. And I think hopefully what's 
we are moving towards, but it's still difficult. Of like when someone dies, it isn't just this is the worst thing. End of story. Stuff happens. Yeah. Like you said, dynamics open and change, and people come in and they they show great kindness. Yeah. That and people are vulnerable and allow people to give them that kindness. And of course, the positive stuff comes out of yeah. that. But it's like yeah, it gets wrapped up in the guilt of like, oh, am I saying I'm glad? Like it's like yeah. no, you're not. It's just a thing happened, and there were consequences to that thing yeah that weren't the, nothing is binary i guess isn't it nothing's like that is bad and that is good yeah <laughs> like, it's like it's awful that she died but good things come out of those situations exactly and do you have a feeling of that with your with, oh my dad, dad oh my god you, yeah definitely the impact that you feel like actually i'm yeah, like I think it fundamentally changed me as a person, my dad dying mm-hmm. when he did. And it would have changed me, you know, yeah. whatever age. It fundamentally changed who I was, how I saw the world and how I communicated with people. And that wasn't always a good thing. Mm. Like, you know, I'm superbly intense and honest, which not everybody is down with. Yeah. But that's that's who I became and that I'm I'm glad of that I'm yeah. glad of where I am so it doesn't take away the sadness that someone's not there I think that's the thing is when you these admitting these two things exist at the same time like you know I had a baby I am sad that my dad doesn't get to see that baby and oh, be a God. grandfather yeah the children thing I yeah think is like it's really hard it's heartbreaking it is but at exactly the same you know, I'm making like a circle, like exactly the same part of that feeling is also going, but I wouldn't be the mum I was if yeah. I hadn't died. Yeah. I wouldn't appreciate those things. I wouldn't, mm. you know, be so happy that she has a great relationship with her dad and, and want that to be there. And so it's, I don't know, like, it's just life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything's so chaotic. And that's the thing, whenever we try and put logic on anything, there, there, there isn't really a lot yeah. of logic you can apply to any, yeah. any of it. So I, I do seek, see the positive side to it. Yeah. it's And I think that it's been funny since talking about it on stage, a few people come up to me afterwards and um, I met someone the other day and they just went, you know, dead parents club, like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and she was like, I'll do that. And it's never not worked. And um, you do, I think in that crisis, I think it does encourage a reflection that gives a depth and that yeah. doesn't always, <laughs> yeah. but can give a depth and sensitivity to people that you really appreciate. Oh like, my God, you're like, yeah. oh, fuck, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, Robin, thank you so thank you. much yeah. for coming to talk to me about your mum, Anne. Thank you very much, go ahead. Enjoyed it. You can follow Robin on Twitter at rcliffan, and you can see his show, The Sea is Big Enough to Take It, at 8pm on Bob's Blunderbuss every day at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast or email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was provided by The Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 